Good morning, church family. My name is Rob, and I am a pastor here. And I walked in this morning, and we found these risers. Um, they are not normally here, but it's just one more adventure here at Woodson, friends. All right, we are very thankful. We can meet here. You never know what adventures will go on. If you weren't with us for our uh, SpongeBob the Musical season, uh, Sundays with SpongeBob was pretty interesting. Uh, also this morning, some of the setup guys that help out, like they walked in and they saw these risers and they were like, Rob, we're going to have to do that every Sunday now? Uh, and I was like, no, man, uh, they did that for us. So uh, this is what we have. If you're visiting us this morning, we are glad that you are here. Uh, this fall, we have been in the book of Mark, and for this Advent season, we have pressed pause. In the book of Mark, we got to chapter 8. That's the chapter where Jesus checks in with his disciples, and he's wanting to say, okay, who do you say that I am? And for this Advent season, we've looked to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah writing some 700 years earlier answering some of this question about Jesus's identity. And so we're looking at Isaiah chapter 9. We're really zeroing in on verse 6, but for context, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. So turn there in your Bibles, go there on your phones, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his, for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, pray with me. Mighty and merciful Father, by your spirit, we pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. We understand and know that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word, it stands forever. We pray this morning that we would see your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Stories of rescue, our hearts rejoice in them and our hearts are moved by them. You can pick your version, you can pick your style, but our hearts rejoice in and are moved by stories of rescue. Um, Top Gun, all right? right? Maverick is about to be finished. And then just at the right time, a rescuer shows up and does what the rescuer needs to do. I'm sorry if that's a spoiler, but you've had plenty of time to see it, all right? 
We rejoice in stories of rescue, especially if what is exactly what's needed is provided. Uh, maybe you prefer Harry Potter, right? And you know that Dumbledore gives uh, uh, Harry and Hermione and Ron exactly what they need, right? To, to Harry, Harry, he gives the, what does he give? The sword of Godric Gryffindor and the, the golden snitch. And then to, to Ron, he gives the deluminator and to Hermione, the tales of Beetle, the bard, so that they have what they need to be rescued and to find victory. Maybe you're a fan of the classics, right? And so you think of Victor Hugo's Les Mis and... You think of that scene where Valjean goes to rescue Cosette, right? Cosette's being kept by these evil innkeepers. And so Valjean walks in on Christmas Day. Hugo describes Cosette as in tattered clothes, barefoot in wintertime. He says that fear was spread all over her. And so Valjean says, okay, I'm going to pay all of her debts and take her with me. And then the evil innkeeper, feigning to care about the girl, says, actually, nope, that's not going to work. I'm going to need a, a, a note. I'm going to need word from her mother that you can take her. And Valjean says, great. Here it is. And then he takes this mistreated and abused girl's girl and brings her into freedom, into family. Our hearts are moved by stories of rescue. Even some 250 years later, it still resonates with us. And maybe it's because those stories borrow their power from the story, from the great story, right? Isaiah is talking about a people who are in need of rescue, Remember, we set the scene last week that they are, they're living in fear of the kingdom uh, to the north of them, the kingdom of Assyria. We set the scene, but if you just want to look at the last verse of chapter 8, right there above chapter 9, it'll remind you exactly what the deal is. Verse 22 says, And they will look to the earth, but behold, darkness, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. This story of Isaiah is a people who have abandoned their God. They've turned to all kinds of lesser rescuers, and they've only found distress and darkness. And our passage that we looked at this morning, verses 1 through 7, let us know that darkness and distress aren't the end of the story, that there is a hope to come, that God is going to send a rescuer. Friends, this morning, each and every one of us in here needs rescue, right? We need a rescue from the brokenness inside of us and the consequences of our rebellion against God. We need, we need an eternal rescue, but here's the thing also. We need rescue day to day, week in and week out. I need a rescue from, from the pride that makes me think that I'm better than them, right? Like whoever they are. We need a rescue from the lust that makes us slaves to screens where we objectify and use fellow image bearers. We need rescue day in and day out. 
And Isaiah speaks of this rescuer. He gives us four exalted titles, right? Wonderful counselor we've looked at, mighty God we've looked at, and we come now to everlasting father. So today we're going to make it real simple. We're going to keep the outline simple at least, and we're going to break that phrase down into two parts. We're going to look at what does everlasting mean and what is Isaiah talking about when he talks about father, all right? Everlasting and father. Let's, let's think about this notion of everlasting, It's just interesting that Isaiah's context, the people of God in that context, it's full of all kinds of chaos and mess and brokenness, but yet Isaiah, more than any other author in the Old Testament, uses the word for eternity, the word that we see here, everlasting, as if if we're in the midst of mess and brokenness, something in us needs to fix our attention on eternity. Isaiah speaks about eternity more than any other author in the Old Testament. And here's some of the reason. It's because he knows full well that the history of God's people is full of leaders, littered with leaders, good leaders and bad leaders. And here's the thing. All leaders die. Even good leaders die. Even the best leaders die. If we want to borrow an example from the context of our passage, verse 4 there, it's talking about how they've been freed from their, their rulers and their oppressors as in the day of Midian. Remember the story of Midian? When you think of Midian, think of Gideon, right? Kids, remember Gideon? He's a pretty good leader. Okay, leader. Here's the story in case you don't know it. Gideon had about 32,000 soldiers, and God said, you know what, that's a little too many, and he winnows it down to 300, all right, to show off his glory, and, and Gideon leads them into victory. Gideon, a decent leader, right? Some of us have friends named Gideon. That's how it works in the Bible. If you're a decent dude, sometimes people get named after you. But guess what? Gideon dies, all right? What does Judges tell us after Gideon dies? Listen to what happens. Judges 8.33. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and pursued other gods and did not remember their Lord who had brought them victory from all of their enemies on every side. Good leaders die. We need an everlasting leader. We need a rescuer who is everlasting. Good judges die. Good priests die. Good prophets die. Good kings die. And so Isaiah says, our rescuer must be everlasting. So this child that was born, this son that was given, he is everlasting. This rescuer is exactly what we need. Right? When Hebrews talks about him, he says, yes, oh, he's a priest for sure. But he's a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Having neither beginning of days or end of life. He's a priest that lives forever. John, when he's writing in the book of Revelation and he introduces the audience to Jesus, he says, oh, he is he who is and who was and who is to come. In other words, this rescuer is not defeated by death, but he defeats death. And we realize that's not true of every world religion, right? This is something that makes Christianity unique. Muhammad does not defeat death. If you want to take a flight to Mecca, drive a couple hundred miles to Medina, find a building with a green dome, there you will find Muhammad's body. Buddha didn't defeat death. He died and was cremated and his ashes were spread around. 
One of these religions is not like the others. Christ has defeated death. Let me ask you this question, friends. In this week ahead, how are the challenges you face changed by the reality that you have a rescuer that has won for you eternal salvation? One for you an eternity of light and life and joy. Like how does that help you deal with difficult people differently? How does that help you deal with the diagnosis that you've received differently or the promotion that you've received? How does that put those things in perspective? Or let me ask you this question. What you're presently turning, in to, rescue, turning to to rescue you, those things you're tempted to, to find life and hope, a salvation in, are they everlasting? I'll tell you this, no person or position or possession is. So if you look to those things, you'll be let down ultimately. We need a rescuer who is everlasting. and We need a rescuer who is a father. Now, if you've been tracking along with us, looking at these titles, I wonder how many of you have been like this, like, okay, this promised one, this Christ, this Messiah, I can see um, wonderful counselor. Uh, I can see mighty God. I wonder what they're going to do with everlasting father. Like, what's up with that, right? Like, how is the son that's given, the child that's come? Like, how he, Jesus, son, father, what's going on with that? I'm glad you asked. Um, as we talk about father here and what Isaiah is getting after, I want to be clear on one thing he's not saying. And then three things that he's pointing at, three things that this idea of father points at. So what Isaiah is not saying is that Jesus the Son is God the Father, all right? Like we want to be real clear, this is not teaching in any way kind of wrong teaching, any kind of heresy, kind of modalism, right? Modalism, there's a word you learned this morning maybe, okay? Modalism, this is what modalism teaches is that God is really only one person who manifests himself in three different ways. Like now he's the Father, now he's the Son, now he's the Holy Spirit. The Bible doesn't teach that, all right? What the Bible teaches is that God, one God, three persons, all right? So we don't think that the Father died on the cross. We don't think that the Son sent the Father into the world. We don't think that the the Holy Spirit was born of the Virgin Mary. Like, no, that's not how this works. The teachings of the church historic, the teachings of the scripture, we confess with all of those that God is one singular, undivided being in three persons that have existed from all eternity in communion and enjoyment of each other, equal in power, equal in glory. All right, that's what we understand about the Godhead. That's what we understand about the Trinity, all right? Trinity Basics 101, incredibly mysterious, rich with implications, but this isn't a sermon on the Trinity, all right? But I do want to be clear. When we talk about everlasting Father, we're not getting into Trinity areas. Here's what Father does point to, all right? Everlasting Father points to this. When, when, when Isaiah, when the Psalms write about Father, they are speaking of a Father's care and compassion and mercy and discipline. That's what Father points us to here. The way a father cares for those who are under his provision, under his family. That's how this rescuer will care for his people. And we've spent all fall in Mark. And in eight chapters, we've seen how this son who came cared and showed mercy and compassion. Whether it was to a leper, whether it was to to hungry crowds, 
to a nameless woman who suffered with a debilitating bleeding issue, to a well-known synagogue ruler, Jesus showed mercy and compassion again and again. Advent points us to one who comes to show mercy and compassion. That's what a father does. And I do need to acknowledge anytime we talk about fathers that there are some here this morning when you hear the word father, the last thing in the world you think about is mercy and compassion. And I'm sorry. And I understand. And I think those wounds and the way that we feel them point us to the reality that we know that something's broken there, that it's not as it should be. If you had a loving father, have a loving father, praise God. But when, when Isaiah points to father, when he speaks of father, he's pointing to this mercy and to this compassion and this care. And we need a rescuer who shows care and compassion. Even if I just think of these past seven days, and I think of what's going on in the lives of just my friends and family and this family, when I think of just seven days, the mercy and care and compassion that's needed in those lives, we need a rescuer with care and compassion. Father points to, to care and compassion. Father also points to revelation. Here's what I mean by that when I say Father points to revelation. It means this promised son, this promised child, this Jesus who has come reveals the Father to us. Right? Let's think through a, a few verses, a few passages that say that. John 1, 18, no one has ever seen God, but the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has made him known. All right? This promise when Jesus comes and makes the Father known. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known the Father. And then there's this scene where Philip, one of his, his, his followers, is kind of having the same issue we might have sometimes. Like, hey, Jesus, what's up? Help me understand this relationship between you and the Father. Like, I'm not sure I'm picking up what you're putting down. And Jesus says, well... Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. And Jesus answers, says, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe I am in the Father and the Father is in me? So, Heavenly Father, Father is pointing us to this reality that Jesus reveals to us the Father, helps us know who the Father is, is the way to the Father. That means um, when we think of God, we're not left to ourselves to kind of customize our notion of what God is, right? It's not like popular opinion um, and our preferences define who God is. I'm not going to take a Twitter poll to define God. Right? We're not going to be tempted to customize them and make them in the image of our ideal self. It's not like you can play the game of like, yeah, I like to imagine God in a tuxedo t-shirt. That's just how I do it, right? Like, no, there's none of that. Advent and Christmas remind us that in some mysterious way, the child that was born takes the guesswork out of knowing God. We see God in Christ. He has revealed him to us. Father points to Care, it points to revelation, and finally, Father points to adoption. 
All right, Father points us to this reality that we are adopted. Kids, I want us to go back to the story. Remember, we talked about all these other stories borrowing their power from these story. Kids, as we talk about these story, God's story, we talk about it in four chapters in our children's ministry, right? Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Think about these story. And in these story, we, in a way, we have a first father. His name was Adam, right? We have a first father, and so we've inherited some things from our first father, just like you inherited stuff from your father. Adam turned his back on God, walked away from God. And so therefore, now we inherited that from him, that spiritual gene. And our default setting is set to that. Instead of looking to God for rescue, we look to other things. So we've inherited our first father's genes. We've even inherited the consequences of that reality. Like turning away from the Father means you are turning to darkness and death. Because that's all there is apart from the Father and apart from God. So we inherit those consequences as well. So what do we need? Friends, we need a new father. Right? If our first father, Adam, failed us, if our first father, Adam, gave us these spiritual genes, this default setting to turn away from God, we need a new father. Let's listen to some of what the scriptures say. Listen to what um, Galatians 4 says. Um, Listen to how Galatians 4 talks about Christmas, talks about this Advent season, and how Jesus adopts us into a new family. It says this, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. Why? Here's the point of Christmas. Here's the point of Advent. So that we might receive, so that we might be adopted as daughters and sons. This term father is pointing to the fact that the rescuer adopts us and brings us into his family. Right, So like Cosette, on Christmas Day, we are redeemed and rescued from the evil innkeeper and brought into a new family. And that's what we invite our friends in Fairfax to, right? Like we'd, I hope you're not this season inviting friends to come join, I don't know, like the respectable citizens of Northern Virginia Club. All right, that's not what this gathering is in case you were confused. This isn't a gathering of all those who have all the answers. This isn't a gathering of those who have got their behavior and their stuff finally together. No, we invite our friends to come in and, and join the family they were designed for. We, come, we, we invite our friends to come and meet the father they are longing for. And hopefully when we invite them, they hear in our voice a wonder and amazement that we can't believe we've been included in the family. We can't believe that God's word teaches something that all who believe in the name of this rescuer will be made sons and daughters of God. Hopefully they hear our astoundment that somehow we're included. That's what we invite people to. We've met this rescuer that we needed, and we invite them to him. So really, I hope you see what we've been doing some in this series. It's taking the light of all who Christ is, and we've been breaking it down into these different rays, right? The, the ray of wonderful counselor and the ray of mighty God and the ray of everlasting father. And then we've taken this ray of everlasting father, and we've, we've said, okay, it's, 
It's care and it's revelation and it's adoption. You know, just a glimpse of Jesus, we have to acknowledge this, just a glimpse, a sight of Jesus is enough to save, right? We see that in the Syrophoenician woman that we looked at, like utterly pagan woman, right? I'm willing to bet she didn't have a well-formed orthodox view of the Trinity, right? Just going to go out on a limb. But you know what she did? She saw in Jesus a fullness and a hope and a life and she, was, she knew that was more than enough for the darkness in her. And so she said, Jesus, can I have just a crumb? So just a glimpse will save. But at the same time, we need to realize that these complexities, these treasures, these heights and depths of all who Jesus is, we're called to explore those. And we need to explore those so that we see who our rescuer is. Lord, save us from being those here in Northern Virginia that are adept at navigating complex organizations and budgets and schedules, all of those things, spreadsheets. Like we can, we can navigate those complexities and yet we neglect the treasures and depths and riches of Jesus. Because day in and day out, when you need to be rescued, you need to know who your rescuer is and where to turn. So that's what we're doing in this Advent season. We're turning to this Jesus, this rescuer. Let's be those who mine the riches of the scripture so that we might know who he is. Some this morning might need to go to, the first, to Christ for the first time for rescue. All of us will need him in this week ahead, so I'm just going to pray that he would indeed reveal himself to us. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for sending Christ. Your son, our rescuer, he is exactly what we needed. No other rescuer would do. We needed Christ to come. We need an eternal rescuer. We need a rescuer that cares and shows compassion. Help us to see that because of Christ, this life, these adventures, these sorrows are but just a prelude and a preface to the eternity we will enjoy with you. And help us to look to you this week, Father, to look to your Son for rescue in all that we face. We pray this in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.